Greetings, my intergalactic family. My name's Ricky, and welcome to Ricky's Mysteries and the Supernatural Podcast. We'll talk about everything from UFOs to ancient megalithic sites to Bigfoot and the supernatural. We're going to talk about all of it on this podcast. Now let's all hop on the Tic Tac and let's take a ride down this interdimensional wormhole. Greetings, space creatures, and welcome to another episode of Ricky's Mysteries and the Supernatural Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to continue the conversation on UFOs, and we have a very, very special guest on today who is an author of over 30 books on various subjects, including science, history, the paranormal, fiction, and the Hudson Valley UFO sightings. And the person that I'm talking about is none other than Linda Zimmerman. Now, she's lectured across the country, and she's appeared on numerous TV and radio shows and podcasts. In fact, she has her own podcast called UFO Headquarters. Linda starred in the documentary In the Night Sky, I Recall UFO, which was based on her research into sightings in the Hudson Valley of New York. The film won the 2013 People's Choice Award at the International UFO Congress. And her two books on UFOs are In the Night Sky and Hudson Valley UFOs. She's also currently working on a third book on the subject. Now, the Hudson Valley is no stranger to the mysterious. For hundreds, maybe even thousands of years, there has been paranormal and unusual activity all over the area, ranging from UFO sightings to mysterious stone structures to various hauntings. Now, Linda's research has led her to interview hundreds of people on various subjects. And some of the most interesting, in my opinion, are the interviews with people who are witness to the Hudson Valley UFO sightings. It's a great pleasure to have Linda on the show, and I hope you enjoy my interview with Linda Zimmerman here on Ricky's Mysteries. Hi, Linda. How are you? I'm very good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, thank you so much. So I'd like to start out the show by asking you, how did you become interested in all these subjects? Well, uh, I was I was always a curious little kid who loved who loved strange things and you know scary stories. So I guess I was drawn to all kinds of you know weird things. And plus, I, I grew up in the Hudson Valley, where we have a very long history of UFOs. I I thought they were normal. <laughs> I thought they were everywhere. And uh, we had a lot of haunted sites, so uh, between, you know, being immersed at a young age in the paranormal and UFOs, it, uh, it wasn't a big stretch for me to get into. Now, did you have any personal experiences? Uh, yes, I had a sighting when I was 19 years old, a pretty dramatic sighting with some friends, you know, multiple eyewitnesses, where we saw three craft uh, merge into one, which uh, I was taking physics classes at the time in college, and I don't know how that's done. <laughs> so wow. that certainly caught my attention. Um, several years later, I did see the big V-shaped craft that were going over the Hudson Valley, and... Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I was well prepared to handle the subject, having had my own encounters I couldn't explain. 
That's amazing. And so you, you actually were a witness to the Hudson Valley boomerang as well? Uh, yes. What I saw, you know, we call it the boomerang, um, but there were a lot of, of D-shaped, you know, like just a, it looked like a big, wide, enormous black V with, um, I believe it was five lights, one in the point and two on either side. And they were enormous, rounded lights, but they didn't, as bright as they were, they didn't illuminate the ground under it, which was strange and completely silent, just glided across the, you know, the sky. And my friend and I were just in, in awe. And I, you know, you, you kind of get that goosebump feeling when you're like, what am I looking at? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wow. I mean, I can't even imagine. Uh, can you give our listeners an, an idea of just the size of this object? Uh, I, I, you know, everybody says football field size. I would have to agree with that. It, we're not talking, you know, a Cessna or something like it. We're talking huge. Um, each of the lights looked like they could have been bigger than a, a car, um, you know, much bigger. Uh, so that's probably, I, I will have to stick with the usual football field size. And about how far, how far off the ground was this? Because in some reports, they claim that it's only right above the tree line. Did you see this that close? Yes, I would have to say it was Maybe a, maybe 200 feet above the trees, because as soon as it went, we, we saw it going up, thank, thankfully, we were um, passing an open, a large open field at the time. We saw it go over the field, but as soon as, very soon after it hit the tree line, we lost sight of it because it was so low. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Now, yeah, and, and I was just going to say, in, in the scheme of things, though, that was a very brief encounter because during the 80s, people stood under hovering craft for as much as 20 minutes. So mine was quick in terms of what was happening at that time. So how, how long did it happen from, from start to finish? Oh... Uh, I, I'm trying to picture, uh, probably, probably not much more than a, a minute. It was, it was moving, but not very quickly. So by the time when we first saw it, uh, probably less than a minute total going across. Um, but boy was some minute. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know? Must've been an eternity. Yes. Yes, and what time but of I'd love to see it again. <laughs> Me too, actually. I'd love to see it, even though it sounds terrifying, <laughs> frankly. Um, now it, it wasn't. It wasn't. We were we were enthralled by it. It was like, and, and you know, I hit soon as it was out of sight. I hit the gas pedal because I was hoping to follow it or or keep seeing it. You know, what's funny is that the uh, I, I interviewed another witness to it, and um, the uh, boomerang actually chased after their car, and they had to hit the gas pedal to get away from it. <laughs> oh, 
okay, that's different. That I would be a little anxious. <laughs> so you're doing it for the opposite reason. I, w- I may have done the same thing as you, Linda. I may have pushed the gas pedal to go catch up with the thing to get a better view of it. But um, Right, right. Yeah. If it was coming after me, yes, then uh, then that, that turns the tables. Uh-oh. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we didn't see it. And this was, it was a beautiful night. It was um, August. It was probably around 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the evening, and uh, probably, yeah, more towards 10 because it was completely dark. And, uh, you know, windows were down in the car, so no sound, just unobstructed view. Can't possibly mistake it for anything else. I, I, you know, maybe it was... Uh, some sort of military project, but nothing commercial or, you know, private that I know of is like a giant black V. I, um, with the other witness that I interviewed, they said that there's no way that it could have been any kind of military uh, vehicle, just for the fact that they they claimed that it had disappeared before their eyes in a flash. And then it reappeared. And then it reappeared, and that's when it chased their car. Okay. Yeah, I sincerely doubt it's military. But, you know, there are the skeptics, and you have to concede that, you know, I honestly, I don't know what it was. Yeah. So, um, and, and there were so many people say, oh, yeah, it was a military craft. Well, the configurations, people saw V's and boomerangs and triangles and big ones and medium-sized ones and enormous ones and different light patterns and, you know, all, different uh, skin types. Like uh, some looked like gunmetal, some looked jet black, some looked shiny. And I say, okay, just from a practical standpoint, where is the military keeping these 75 different <laughs> types of craft bigger than a football field it you know when you just look at it logistically it makes no sense right right because yeah because it would be very plainly obvious if you have (laughs) something of that size you know it's very very hard to hide something like that surely right now you've you've investigated this for many years and you you've in fact written several books on it um and you've interviewed countless witnesses. In all of these um, experiences that you've had, have you gotten any closer to finding out what this could possibly be? Uh, I, I know there's a contingent in the UFO world who refuses to say extraterrestrial. They just, we just don't know, we just don't know. But when you talk to a few hundred witnesses who see beings, let's put it that way, who really aren't human, to put it mildly. Um, I have no problem with saying this, if it's not extraterrestrial, it's extra-dimensional, it's it's something. It's not you or I, let's put it that way. Right. And did this, did the sightings begin in the early 80s, or was that when the wave began? That was the big wave. Um, The first big wave actually began 1908, 
1909. So this has been going on in the Hudson Valley for many generations, at least over 100 years. And I, I think we can probably safely push it back into the 1800s as well. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of newspaper archive searches. And how do you explain something in the 1840s or 60s or 80s, you know, that strange lights moving through the sky that can hover and move very quickly and, you know, people, oh, it must have been a meteor. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, they're trying to, with their limited knowledge, they're trying to explain it away, and uh, you you just can't. So, in your in your investigations, do you have any story or stories? Um, I guess we could start with story um, that you're particularly fascinated with. That's just always stuck with you. I was really impressed and surprised. And it takes a lot to surprise me after, you know, after you interview a few hundred witnesses um, to really be surprised. But there was this woman named Maureen. She was a research librarian in Westchester, New York. And I'm, I'm expecting, okay, it was a triangle the size of a football field. You know, after a while, it's like, okay, this is the 700s triangle. But she's telling me she's sitting at the bus stop waiting for her husband to come home from work. She picked him up every every evening and she sees an enormous triangle and you know, I said, could you tell me the size? And I'm waiting for football field, but she said the size of a football stadium. And I, my jaw dropped and I looked at her and I'm like, I'm sorry, did you say Stadium. Oh, yeah. It was just enormous, you know, enormous, took up the whole sky. And she said, as she's looking at this, you know, dark black, an opening, a round opening uh, opens up at the bottom. She said she didn't, she's very specific, didn't see a door slide open. Just suddenly there was an opening and a red ball of light, some other craft or light, whatever you want to call this red ball of light comes by, goes up into it. The, the opening disappears and the craft takes off in the blink of the of an eye. So as startling as that is, this is like one of a kind. As far as I know, when the door was, the opening was open, she could see inside. And she said it was like levels. She saw lighted levels. She described it as if you were looking at an apartment building, um, you know, the balconies on the side of an apartment building. I, I mean, this woman deals, she's a reference librarian. She deals with facts for a living. She's very funny. She says, you know, I really don't have much of an imagination. I'm, <laughs> you know, I, I just loved this. This was one of my favorite witnesses. And I can't think of anybody else who has seen inside one of these massive triangles like that. And, you know, to describe it as like balconies. Um, so this is a multi-leveled, enormous craft the size of a football stadium just hovering um, 
over over that area. Um, that is a story that is hard to beat. That's absolutely astounding. Yeah, I like I said, and I just I just love the you know the way she told it. You know the attention to detail. Um, just just incredible, and that what also rang true is there are hundreds of reports of people seeing craft with like a red ball of light trailing it or going in and out of it. So, which she didn't, you know, she didn't know at the time. Um, so, ha, ha, try to explain that one, skeptics. <laughs> Do you, I've heard stories that this particular area lies on some kind of a energetic vortex or upon an intersection of the the famous the famed ley lines do you believe this to be true and that that may be part of the explanation for why there's been so much activity here well it's something so uh, i i wouldn't discount that um there is definitely a fault line in the area which i know attracts tension um i i've seen different ley line patterns some intersect here some just to the north um uh, there's you know maybe it's the geology a lot of the sightings in the 1980s took place near where there were um old magnetite mines you know magnetized iron mm. so maybe there's something about the electromagnetic fields here um a lot of sightings took place in the Yorktown Heights area and I saw um, somebody had did, done a map of the gravity field of the earth because it's not one solid gravitational field the, the strengths vary and it looked like a big round gravitational anomaly over Yorktown Heights and I'm like, okay that's <laughs> you know doesn't prove anything might be a slight difference but yes you know as a researcher you have to look at every single possibility because you know you want an explanation I don't know that we'll ever get it um, but certainly there is something unique about this area that draws them and now we we actually have a a uh, quote hot spot here right in Pine Bush New York yes and uh, yes. what what are they seeing in Pine Bush? Are they seeing the same V-shaped craft, or are we seeing different kinds of objects and different kinds of things? All kinds. Uh, back in the '60s and '70s, there were a lot of you know what you'd call the classic flying saucer, you know the circular craft. Um, there have been rectangles as late as you know ten years ago. Um, but the big wave was just as the wave of the 80s was kind of dying down in the bulk of the Hudson Valley, the late 80s, early 90s, it picked up like crazy in Pine Bush. And people were seeing triangles. Um, but you name the shape of craft, they probably saw it there. And, and what is unique about Pine Bush other than the sheer number of craft is that a lot of the activity seemed to come out of the ground 
and go back into the ground, which is very rare. People seeing craft rise up out of the ground and then go back. And a lot of people uh, reported feeling vibrations under their feet or hearing sounds almost like something mechanical was going on. People would describe it like somebody's got a backhoe under the ground, you know, this this type of banging, you know, mechanical sound. Um, so it's, you know, Pine Bush is like the Disneyland of, of the UFO world. You name it, and, and they've had it. Wow. I was actually, I was very impressed by one story that I heard, I, the actual museum, that um, two witnesses, uh, they witnessed an, an object, but both of them saw something completely different. And I just think that's fascinating that two people can see, you know, one thing and have two totally different experiences. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. The, the, I, I know the one you're talking about. I know, you know, I'm, I'm friends with the witnesses. One saw like a bar of light rise up and the other one described it as a flaming uh, Ferris wheel on fire. Well, that's awfully <laughs> different <laughs> from a single bar to a flaming Ferris wheel. Um, there's another case from Cornwall, New York, um, from the 90s, where a massive, uh, again, a saucer-shaped craft was hovering so low over someone's house that the homeowner thought the craft was going to crush their house. And it's a you know summer night, everybody's running out into the street in the neighborhood, and 90% of the people saw this circular craft with bright, like colored and, you know, lights, lots of lights. About 10% of the people standing right next to them saw a black solid triangle with one light in each corner, in each point. And that to me is it speaks volumes. I don't know what it is. It is about our perception. Can they make us see what we want to see? Um, you know, at one That's point a... I was kind of joking. Did somebody on the craft hit the rock? No, you're not supposed to hit two buttons. <laughs> you know, <laughs> either make us look like a triangle or a or a cert, You know, a, a flying saucer. You can't hit both buttons. Um, you know, I, I I kind of make it a joke because I don't know how to process that right. and I've interviewed people on both sides of it and they will swear uh, in court I saw a triangle you're crazy I saw a, a flying saucer that's fast that's just absolutely amazing isn't it yes and I said how I, I don't understand the process um, unless whatever these things are have the ability to manipulate our our perception. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, and that that all in itself is just a wild thought, isn't it? Kind of frightening, in fact. Oh, yes, it is. Because what else are they manipulating? Right, right. And I remember, um, for some reason, this just popped in my head. I'll, I'll never forget when uh, Robert Bigelow was on uh, sixty Minutes, and uh, he kind of scoffed when they asked him if he thought aliens were real, and he said, they're right under our noses. 
you know. <laughs> and he ought to know. And he ought to know, yeah, because he spent, you know, who, who knows how many millions of dollars trying to find that answer. Right, um, right. Yeah. And he had uh, the famed Bigelow Ranch, which is now, you know, the famed Skinwalker Ranch that we see on TV. But none of the research ever came out on that. Only stories of the previous owners, I believe it was. Correct? Yeah. Yes. So, um, that's just incredible. And and he's had his, yeah, he's had his hand in a lot of other projects, too, that, um, you know, I've heard, heard, uh, little bits about, but, um, you know, we may never know the, the whole truth of these things. I, I think we're way beyond are there UFOs anymore. And, you know, it used to be you'd get laughed at. Mm-hmm. Now, since Navy pilots and camera footage is coming out saying, yes, there's something. And, the, you know, the government is, I, I don't ever want to say the government is open about it. I'm not that naive, but... <laughs> They are more open, open about it. They're at least admitting there are things in the sky that's not us, not the Chinese, not the Russians. So what does that leave? Not, not very much. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not very many options. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, um, yeah, it's just, um, it's just so fascinating. And I, uh, I also... I don't want to go off on a tangent right now, but I just want to talk about this because it's, it's a subject, a local subject that's just fascinated me, um, ever since I heard about it. And what I always find, find very interesting about this is that when I ask locals about this thing that I'm about to tell you about, not a lot of people know about it. They only know, they'll know about it if you, if you tell them that it's a root cellar. (laughs) Now that being said, um, what I'm talking about are the, uh, the stone chambers of Putnam County. Um, which in fact, I think they may even go a little further beyond Putnam County because um, I actually photographed a house in Pauling, New York. Um, and the, I'll never forget this. The real estate agent told me, oh, um, I think this house has one of those little stone huts that you like. I said, where? And she, and she, go, and she goes, uh, out back. And so I go around back and uh, sure enough there was a stone chamber and they had built a two-car garage on top of it (laughs) oh no but what was amazing was that the structure was still sound and they had like a little red door on it and it must have you know they had like uh one of those flat-bottomed bass boats (laughs) in, in the storage but just to give you an idea i mean that thing went went in maybe you know 30 feet or 20 feet um wow just fascinating and then you know, um, having read your book and, and others, um, they talk about how, uh, some of them are found near water sources. Now, coincidentally or not, that property had two natural occurring springs on it and they met right at the entrance of the stone chamber. I don't know that that's a coincidence. And, uh, if it was a, uh, you know, some, some sort of vegetable storage bin, you really don't want a lot of humidity. Um, you know, you don't want two natural springs near where you're trying to preserve your your food, right? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And it's yeah. just, and so I've visited um, maybe uh, to date, and maybe I've visited a, a, like a 
I think 13 of them, 12, maybe 12, 13. And the, uh, um, the balanced rock of North Salem. And, um, I'm just so impressed by, you know, these are clearly megalithic structures, you know, uh, they took knowledge of so many different things, engineering and physics and architecture being just three of them. And I noticed how, um, you know, they they happen to be within this general area and there's, and there's many, many, many of them. And, yeah. um, I don't know, you know, again, I don't want to go off on a tangent. Um, but these, they're seemingly ancient and they seemingly have, you know, if you go up and you look at them, they, they look like they've been here for a very long time. Now, do you think there's a connection between maybe this activity and these other strange things that are happening in the Hudson Valley? And maybe that's why, um, these incredible structures happen to be around here too. Well, uh, there may be, uh, because, um, there was a, uh, Ferrari mechanic, uh, who I interviewed who lived in Putnam County during the wave. And, um, he was noticing that a lot of activity was, you know, sightings were happening. He was really into the, uh, stone chambers was happening directly over stone chamber sites. Hmm. And when Dr. J. Allen Hynek came to investigate the, you know, the, the big wave of the 80s, he spoke to this man and he, he you know, the, the same question, why this area? And, you know, the, the mechanic said, you know, I don't think there's a, a, a correlation. I don't know if there is but we have these stone structures and sightings seem to, you could like put a pin in a map. Here's where a sighting, oh, and there happens to be some stone structures and here's another mass sighting and more stone structures. So I'm, you know, all I'm saying is there was a correlation in the 80s and some of these chambers uh, perhaps all of them, but I know several have been found to have been built on magnetic anomalies. You know, that the builders seem to know something was unusual with the Earth's natural magnetic field there. And so some people speculate that uh, these craft may be able to almost surf the, ma the Earth's magnetic field, you know, somehow draw energy from it. So maybe in some strange way, there is a correlation because, again, of where these chambers were built on these magnetic anomalies. So it's kind of a, you know, speculation all over the, across the board, but you know, when you have massive craft hovering over what might be an ancient stone chamber, you, you know, again and again, you have to try to look for some answers. Right. And are you currently investigating anything? Oh, I'm always, I have a long list of stone sites. Um, my real strong interest in them, in them is the astronomical alignments because I think many of them are, you know, tied to the calendar in some way, solstice, uh, equinox, um, 
particularly important stars or constellations. So I'm always looking for clear weather on one of those days to, uh, you know, examine more sites. Yeah, they're uh, absolutely just breathtaking, aren't they? I mean, I always um, was so impressed by how they're all kind of the same, but they're all kind of not. They, whoever built them, I think it was individual to whoever built it because they're kind of unique. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you've seen the ones that have two lintels and then there'll be one that has one and then there'll be some that um, have really short entrances and then some that go back, you know, several feet. So they're kind of different, but they're the same. And I, I'm just so fascinated by it because again, like we were, we were talking about before this, it's a very, um, inconvenient way. Um, not <laughs> inconvenient isn't the word impractical. That's the word. It's a very impractical way to build a root cellar <laughs> or, yeah, with no ventilation, and usually a lot of these you've probably seen you go into and the floor is soggy, is, mm-hmm. you know, because it's by a water source. Um, I don't know if you've been to the, to the. Uh, there's actually three chambers of, off of uh, Wangtown Road in Carmel, and one of them is on the side of a hill. And it's like, okay, you have a... You have a cartload full of turnips and potatoes. Mm-hmm. How do you get, you You know, what do you do? You you stop your wagon up on the top of the hill and you, you, you know, you have to carry them all down. It's, it's stupid. And it just so happens that that chamber on Equinox Sunrise fills the, cha- you know, the sun comes in and hits the back of the wall. So... Really, a farmer didn't, okay, I want to build this, as you say, inconvenient uh, or, you know, uh, impractical. impractical. Yes, this impractical chamber on the side of a hill, but I have to make sure that Equinox Sunrise can get in there because that's what my potatoes want. I mean, <laughs> well, not only that, Linda, know, not only that, Linda, I mean, we're talking about, you know, those roof stones must wait. Uh, tons and, you, and and here you have these the walls that are built out of seemingly randomly stacked dry stone there's not even any mortar holding this thing together and that right. that's holding all the those tons of weight i mean it really ha it's one of those things that you have to be there to 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 see it right linda i mean we're not we're not doing any justice the one you saw they put a two-car garage on top of it right it's, it's taking that weight as well it's just under these are very fine yeah these are very finely engineered and some of them you go into you can see that you know some farmers or landowners tried to put cement mm-hmm. tried to you know put and that's already all crumbling and falling out yeah um, that, I, I, i've noticed that too and i'm right? amused i'm amused by that because it's like yeah. you know the, the mortar doesn't last long as the stones that are always going to still be there right and right they really knew what they were doing and another thing that i always thought was very interesting have you noticed how some of them will have an actual tree growing on top of it or several trees growing on top of them and they do not disturb the structure i just it's remarkable yes some very large trees on top because if you build a house or if you have uh, you know a tree in close proximity to your house that can ruin a foundation in just a few years 
and you know who knows yep. who knows how long these things have been there for and they have trees just growing right on top of them and it doesn't do anything to them it's just absolutely fascinating and um yeah i was um what you had been talking about with the alignments i had noticed that there's several places across the atlantic in ireland that have similar structures and they also line up with uh solstices and um other alignments do you believe that they're connected somehow because they're also seen all around the world i'm not just talking about yeah that's just it i you know i can't you know a lot of people say celtic monks built them well i think the native americans were well capable of, of building them i think it's a matter of form follows function if you want to make some sort of astronomically aligned chamber you live somewhere where there's a lot of rocks that's what you do um in the midwest where they had a lot of dirt they have the mounds you know the the huge mounds that are astronomically uh positioned um and and the dolmens you know the uh those stone structures the uprights with the huge capstones they're found around the world um you know, the Asia, Africa, all throughout Europe. So there, everybody was doing it. <laughs> that's, that's what I try to, you know, when, when people say, oh, it's ridiculous that Native Americans or whoever would have built in stone, you know, something in stone for the solstice. Well, then you don't get ancient peoples who they lived by the sky, the positions of the moon and the sun and you know, you if you live in nature, you kind of need to know when winter's coming mm-hmm. and when it's safe to plant. Your survival depended on your knowledge of the the seasons. Not right. to not to mention the spiritual implications on top of it. So people around the planet for thousands of years built astrono- astronomically aligned structures so it would be unusual if they didn't do it here in the northeast that that wouldn't make sense but you know i i you know the you talk to the experts and um what i just said makes no sense to them so (laughs) so yeah i as i said i i do not have the answers but certainly somebody with great architectural and engineering skill and superb astronomical knowledge uh, built a lot of these stone sites. It's fascinating how that's a common thread with all these stone sites. You know, like you can go to the pyramids of Egypt to Machu Picchu and they all have the alignments. You know, they all have the same kind of things going on. Very yeah, well, you know, I always say we can't look at the past with our eyes today. Most people, they couldn't, they couldn't point out four stars in the sky. You know, they, yeah. they don't look at the night sky. They have no knowledge of it. I used to teach astronomy, huh. and I was astounded. At the la- I actually had what it was uh, adult education, and I had one woman. Um, I was showing some photos I had taken of the moon that afternoon before class. She raises her hand, she goes, that, she's probably in her 30s, she's a mother, she's like, I didn't know you could see the moon during the day. 
like, okay, the bar is set very low here. Uh, oh, dear. <laughs> but that's, you know, with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. They don't have a clue. Ancient peoples, they, you know, they, they had great view of the sky because there's no light pollution. And they're, you know, the realm of their gods, of their spirit beings was up there. So they paid really close attention, you know, let alone what time of year it is for their survival. So they were so tied into the night sky and we have almost completely lost that now. So of course, you know, modern people are not going to look at these sites the same way. No, why would people move rocks to line up with uh, winter solstice? Mm-hmm. They just don't get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the most fascinating things that I've ever seen was um, on a trip to Mexico. I, I don't know if it was Teotihuacan. Uh, there was an area that had these rectangular, what looked like these rectangular rooms, which were actually, in fact, filled with water at one point. And then when I asked why, why was this full of water, they said that it was a reflecting pool. So at night, they'd all go look down at the, at the water and see the reflection of the stars off of it so they didn't have to look up, <laughs> which I thought oh, was... Yeah, which which I thought yeah, that was, hurts your neck after a while, right? What a, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I was absolutely fascinated when I heard that story. I couldn't believe it, but it makes sense, right? Because if you're studying that and you're gonna like look up all the time, now you're gonna build a pool to make it more practical, so you can look down at the reflection. Uh, Unbelievable. I love it. See, and they went to that trouble um, because that's how important it was to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of one of my top of my bucket list is out in Chaco Canyon in uh, New Mexico, northern New Mexico there. You know, those enormous structures they built with so many rooms and, you know, they all have these astronomical alignments and the work that went into it, you know, carrying, there was no, there's no timber there. Mm-hmm. They had to carry these, I, I don't remember how many thousands and thousands of logs they had to carry out there, um, you know, for 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 build their stone structures, but with the logs in them. Oh, and are these the, are these the kivas? Yes, yeah, oh. uh, in in Chaco, um, and they're they're just stunning how these were engineered in such an inhospitable place that had to take an enormous effort and time and manpower and then you have to feed the labor force and then you know you need to have the the engineers there and you need you know you're not going to build this enormous structure and oh you know what we're off a few degrees with the sun oops sorry <laughs> so you know <laughs> and it, to, to get these alignments so precise it's it's just stunning. We just don't give ancient cultures the credit, um, you know, for what they were able to accomplish. Yeah, and I and I, I I find that the big question remains, you know, who gave who where did all the where did all this knowledge come from? Yeah, um, I don't know, but when you figure in our area, you know, after the glaciers, the let you know we've had. Native Americans in this area for 11,000 years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a long time to, 
to gain knowledge. So, um, did they get outside help? Possibly, but uh, give human beings a few thousand years in the same location, and I, I think they can create remarkable things. Absolutely, I, I agree. I mean, we should never uh, dismiss human ingenuity, right? Right. Yes. I, you know, I love that reflecting pool. That, that there you go, right there. <laughs> It's just so incredible that they um, they put so much attention to that and how we've been talking or how you said in the course of the interview how nowadays we just we don't we can't even we don't even know if it's the moon in the sky for goodness sake you know yeah um, that's that's how how low we have fallen in terms of that and it's a shame the night sky is so beautiful. And, uh, you know, you don't need to take astronomy courses to appreciate it. You know, throw a blanket on the ground some night and lay there and just appreciate, you know, the beauty in the sky. Yes, I think we should all do that, especially now that we have this great weather around here. It's starting to yes. get better. <laughs> It'd be, and we've had some very clear nights, too. So Yeah, and, you know, meteor showers and, th- you know, there's, there's just fun things to do in the sky. You know, I'm biased because I've been using a telescope since kindergarten. Um, but, uh, yeah, and it's a great thing to teach your kids, you know, tear them away from their cell phones and, uh, you know, maybe spend an hour or so looking at the night sky. Well, you heard it, uh, listeners. I highly recommend you go get a telescope and go and check out what's going on in the sky. <laughs> Educate, educate yourself. Binoculars helps. <laughs> yeah, or exactly. Just get a pair of binoculars, or you don't even need a pair of binoculars. Just look up there and get a you know, get a star map and and learn about the wonders of of, of the universe. Because um, there's so much mystery, so much we don't know, right? That's exactly. out there um, everywhere. So, Linda, do you have any books that you'd recommend for us to read? Well, if you're interested in UFOs in the Hudson Valley in particular, um, I have a very large book called Hudson Valley UFOs, The Best Evidence, where I've combined all of what I consider the best cases I've researched over the years. Um, and if you're interested in the stone sites, I have uh, Mysterious Stone Sites uh, of the Hudson Valley book, which gives uh, addresses and locations so you can actually go and visit these places yourself which as you said uh, there's nothing like being at these sites it's you definitely have to go witness it yourself and i will vouch that i have used the linda's book and i have found the chambers <laughs> so <laughs> good that that's the goal <laughs> yep yeah, and uh, it's, uh, it's a great read, and it's packed full of information about the stone chambers and, and all of your books about UFOs, and even about the, you have some about the paranormal as well, I believe, correct? I have a lot. Um, I, I wrote the Ghost Investigator series where I detail um, my investigations of, of haunted sites, and there's 13 volumes of the ghost investigator. So no lack of, of ghost stories. Looks like I got a lot of reading to do. 
There'll be a quiz, so you okay. better read well. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> no, no pressure, no pressure. Oh, my goodness. Oh, well. So um, just I will, I'd like to say again, thank you very much, Linda, for being on. Um, you heard it uh, from the author herself, uh, Linda Zimmerman on Ricky's Mysteries. Go out there and get all of her books and educate yourself on all these amazing topics. And thanks again, Linda. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to hit the like and subscribe button. If you're a fan of the show and would like to see me dedicate more time to this than my day job, and you'll also help feed the two ferocious barking cryptids here, please visit the Patreon link at patreon.com backslash Ricky's Mysteries. You can drop us a line at rickysmysteries at gmail.com if you have anything you'd like to share, and maybe we'll have you on the show. Our photo content is on Instagram, and our podcast can be found on Acast. Until then, I'm looking forward to seeing you all next time on Ricky's Mysteries and the Supernatural. Now get out there and find the truth. Mm -hmm.